Hi everyone, and welcome to the Healthy You podcast, where we talk to healthcare professionals about all things health and wellness. I'm your host, Andrew Barton, and today our special guest is Rob Brown from the Gold Coast Suns. Welcome back, Rob, and thanks for joining us today. I just wanted to ask you, so you've had some pretty amazing experiences and I hear that you've uh, spent a bit of time over in Europe. Yeah, so we were based in in Europe for about eight months of every year when I was working with uh, Green Edge or Mitchelton Scott as they're known, just purely because cycling's a European summer sport. Um, we were back in Australia then for the summer, for the summer racing. Yeah, it was a fantastic experience. And do you have any cool stories or anything like that from your time in Europe? Probably the most famous one is the the bus getting stuck under the finishing gantry. Anyone who's not aware of it, if you just quickly Google Mitchelton Scott finishing straight or Tour de France, you'll find some really, um, really funny, well, they're funny now, but at the time it wasn't so funny pictures. It was at the first stage of the 100th edition of the Tour de France in, in 2013. So it was an enormous occasion, especially for the French. This is their national race and it's their, their world stage. And we arrived at the finishing, whilst the race was going on, the buses go to the finish to pick up the cyclists when they're finished. And we arrived a little bit late and the um, the course organisers had said that, yeah, yeah, you're good. The bus will be able to fit under and it didn't fit under and we crashed into it and got stuck. Um, I was on the bus with the bus driver, uh, another Masua and, um, and Robbie McEwen at the time. And to say things were a little bit stressful was was an understatement. I bet. The biggest stress came because the race was ongoing and the race had about 30 kilometres to go. And so I guess it was like one of those movies where they started counting down. <laughs> they got 25Ks to go. Now they have 20 and 15Ks <laughs> to go. And so we had to try and move this bus before the, the cyclists arrived at the finish or they wouldn't be able to get through. So... <laughs> So they got down to about probably 15 Ks and my only thought or one of the biggest, a lot of, I had a lot of thoughts, but one of my biggest thoughts was I wonder what other people are thinking when they actually hear this news <laughs> come over the race radio. And so they told the, the riders via radio into their earpieces, there's a bus crash at the finish line. We're bringing the race three kilometres forward. And so the new race finish is three kilometres forward. We eventually got the bus unstuck and got it out. And so they told the riders, no, no, that's changed. We're finishing at the proper finish now. So if you're a cyclist and especially a sprinter, which it was a sprinting stage, you're trying to judge up like, where do I sprint? How much effort do I put out? So the the riders weren't too happy about it to say the least. And I think the most happiest person was our owner of the team who, um, who, thought it was the best publicity and there's a there's a true saying is that there's no such thing as bad publicity and he yeah of course there's all our sponsors were on the television worldwide yeah so yeah and then that was the that was the time that we went on to win two stages and hold the yellow jersey for four days so it was quite eventful five days do you think that's why the result of the race um of the race some riders say it did unfortunately it was a big crash as well in which a few riders were were injured, but you know there's crashes without things like that. I mean, it's one of the one of the things about sport is that you can never anticipate what's going to happen. But I think it was from memory it was Marcel Kittle who won. So at the time, and then he went on to win a, a like three or four more stages. So you you can't really say that 
yeah, the person who won was probably the best sprinter at the time. Yeah, so it wasn't a Stephen Bradbury moment for no, someone? No, not no, not at all. Okay. Not at all. Okay. Cool. So following on from our last episode, if we can discuss uh, the the second most common injury that you see in cyclists, which I think you said was lower back pain, mm-hmm. why um, why does the back pain occur so commonly in cycling? It's very simply put, you're in a flex position. So you're bent over. So if you think about when you're working or at your, at your desk at a computer or anything like that, that in this flex position and it's, a, it's an overload through the lower back, it's an interesting one as well because it's never or very rarely acute. So there's not as much load going through there that you'll get like an acute injury to, to the structures there or to the, to the disc or any of the joints. It's more of a, a long-term, okay, you're staying in a flex position, producing power for four to five hours. So the cyclists will um, complain or report back pain but at the same time, they probably won't miss many days of, of training or competing because of it. They might have impaired performance, but they won't actually miss any comp- uh, competition. So it's the amount of time that they, they spend cycling plus the number of consecutive days? Yeah, more the amount of flexion. Right. So there's, um, there's a really, really good study uh, probably from around 2013 that sort of really opened the door and, and helped us understand a lot more about um, back-related pain in, in cycling. And basically they had cyclists with no back pain and cyclists with back pain. They put them on a bike and watched them cycle for a, an hour or more. And all cyclists pretty much started in a really good position. The guys that had back pain they'd start to flex more, flex more, flex more, flex more and come into a flex position. So it seems to be uh, more about to do with how much flexion you have. Okay. And then the more flexion you have, then you start to elongate and strain those structures through your back and you start to build up a more of a an overuse or long-term backache. Okay. And if I was a, a cyclist, well, I sort of am a, a weekend warrior, how, um, how would I go about um, fixing my back pain, um, you know, after a weekend's ride? The, the first and the quickest thing to do is to reduce your flexion on the bike. And the quickest way to do that is to increase the height of your handlebars. So if you have a look at, at pro cyclists, probably the biggest difference between pro cyclists and, and us, our amateurs, is that they have this really, really aerodynamic position, especially time trialists, because they get really, really low. They need to be aerodynamic, but they also increase their flexion through their hips and their back. Now, if we're not, our backs aren't good enough. So if we don't have the range of movement to do that, and if we can't sustain that flex position through our back for for however long we're going to ride for, then yeah, we're going to end up with back pain. So the best thing to do is just chock your handlebars up a little bit higher. takes a lot of pressure off the back. Okay. That's a pro tip. Yep. And can you easily get handlebar extenders and things like that? Yeah. So on a bike, you'll have a a stem at the front and you'll have stem spaces. So if you're ever going to buy a bike or get a new bike, they'll have um, a stem at the front, but sometimes they... Um, uh, not a stem, sorry, where they like a where your fork comes through. So, uh, and and they'll have uh, spaces, so it'll have a height on the headset, and that'll be the height there. And then when you buy a bike, sometimes they just cut it off, 
But if you can actually get them to not cut it off, then you've got a lot more room to move and you can put some spaces through there. And is is there like a rule of thumb for choosing the handlebar height? Is it like line it up to your hips or it, do you really have to be on the bike to get that right position? If you've cycled before and you're nice and flexible and you've got a fairly you know robust back, you don't have to be super strong, I'd probably go, I'd start with the handlebars the same height as the seat. And that's not a bad position to start in. Um, you can actually go too high. So if you go too high, then you'll be a little bit more upright. So you want to find that nice position where you're a little bit forward and you can take a little bit more weight through your arms. So that'll also take a bit of pressure off your back, but you don't want to be super, super flex. And you'll probably feel that too, is that if you sit on a bike and you're too flex, you'll come forward. You'll feel like there's a bit too much length or, or tightness through your back. So in terms of being, if you're an amateur or weekend warrior and finding that right bike size for yourself, do you base it on height or uh, are there other other little rule of thumbs that you might use to, to get that size? Yeah, good question. So whenever you're buying a bike, it'll come in a frame size, but there's so many different bike companies now and they all measure frames a little bit differently as well. But the main thing that you want to get is a top tube. So that's your length. And then you can also have your down tube and that's your height. So that'll dictate. So if you can get those two pretty much right, then you've got the length and the, and the, and the height um, dialed in. They normally go by height. So very, very quickly, most bikes and bike stores will say, okay, if you're this height, you'll get this frame, um, which gets you pretty much dead on. The problem is, is that everyone is built a little bit different. Someone might have a longer torso to uh, leg length. Mm -hmm. And so therefore you'll probably need something a little bit longer and then vice versa as well. Um, and that's where like experienced bike fitters and bike shop attendants will really be able to dial you in because different bike companies make different bikes. So if you get a Cervelo, it might be, you know, different in length or height or something like that. Okay. Um, general rule of thumb though, I will say is that most people will get given a bike that's a little bit too big for them. From experience, it's always better to go the smaller so that's the frame size and the frame you can't do anything with. You can't make it smaller, but you can always add things to make it bigger. So if you get a frame that's too big for you, there's nothing you can really do. But if you get a frame that's too small for you, then it's not too bad because you can just add a height on the headset. You can add a, a longer stem. You can add a bigger seat tube, things like that. Okay, cool. I didn't uh, know that. Yeah. And what sorts of treatment techniques or uh, different interventions do you use to, as a clinician to try and help um, cyclists with their back pain? Uh, so the first and the best is always hip flexion. So must keep hip flexion. So a really, really good way to measure this is with something called a, a straight leg raise. So you can do it passively or, or actively and you're just lying on your back, keep your knees straight, uh, keep probably keep your left leg on the ground and then bend your right one up from the hip as far as you can go. Now, cyclists need that hip flexion because if you don't flex through your hip, then you have to flex through somewhere else. Most likely, you're going to flex through the back and that'll overload the back. So if you keep your hip flexion really good, then it's going to take a lot of pressure off the back. So that's, you know, releasing the glutes, releasing the hip flexors, 
um, and even releasing the the lower back extensor muscles and then stretching into that straight leg raise hip flexion and that'll take a lot of pressure immediately off the back. Okay. And so you target that first and then do you go on to addressing any other facets that you might identify? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously a lot of strength through the back. So um, uh, the abdominals are, or core strength as it, as it may be known is a little bit not controversial in cycling, but we just don't know too much about it. I think um, generally speaking, if your position is really good on the bike, you probably don't use your abdominals too much at all. It's like if you're bent over and taking weight through your arms, you're able to relax through your abdominal muscles. Um, you do want to strengthen your back as well. So those lumbar extensor muscles are really, really quite important to help you hold into that into that flex position. You just have to be careful though, because they can also become overactive and then uh, dealing with that hip flexion and then also getting that position right on the bike so that you're taking, you know, a good a good amount through your hands. So you're probably taking, you know, maybe 40%, 30, 30, 40% through your arms and then that rest of that 60, 70% through your, through your backside. Mm-hmm. And so in doing that, you can share the load so it's not all onto the hips and the lower back. So kind of what we discussed in the first episode about uh, the knee pain and the bike fit, likewise with the back pain, that bike fit can be really beneficial as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So for our listeners today, Rob, what would be your three top tips uh, to help them manage their back pain? Number one, flexibility. So maintaining flexion and that's overall flexion. But if you can get the majority of your flexion from your hip, then, you, then you're going to be set. Um, and that's if you do a, a straight leg raise or a really good exercise is a deadlift or a straight leg deadlift. So you just get that hinge from the hip, keeping your, your, your spine straight or in neutral so it doesn't flex or extend. And then all your flexion through your hips is, is a really, really important um, range of movement, but also a movement pattern that's, okay. that's essential. Uh, number two would be the, the bike fit. So just ensuring that the amount of flexion that you have in your bike position is is suitable for you. So if you have a really, really flexible, strong back, then yeah, absolutely. Go, go aero, go crazy if you want to. But if you're not there yet, just bring your handlebars up a little bit high. And then if you want to get there, then start to start to train. Yep. And then the the third one that you'd put in is probably the, the muscle activation around it. So making sure that those lumbar stability muscles are really, really good. So in terms of activation and stability and endurance as well. And then also um, looking through those lower glutes, hamstring activation as well. So you're getting a good flexion extension moment or torque through the hip so that your back doesn't have to do too much. And you can probably see it in some cyclists, especially when they're going uphill or, or fatiguing, is their back starts to move forward and back or they might move side to side. And if you have a look at a pro cyclist when they're cycling really well, basically from the belly button up, there's not a whole lot of, lot of movement. Okay. And I, I realize you have to be, you know, a bit general with it, given that everyone has to be treated individually. But I think those three tips that you've given are, are great starting points for anyone who is a cyclist, a weekend warrior, amateur that does want to get into it. I, for one, have certainly got a lot out of uh, the last couple of episodes and really appreciate your, your time and wish the Suns all the best next season. And hopefully we can, we can see them uh, up there, maybe against Richmond. Hope so. Yeah. That's the plan. Thank you. Thanks very much, mate. Thank you.